so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a technology and ethics podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Weekly Tech is brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. Each Monday, we dive into the most pressing and talked about technology stories in order to keep you up to date and equipped for the week ahead. Alongside this podcast, we also have an email newsletter version of Weekly Tech that you can subscribe to at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech where you'll receive this weekly briefing via email each Monday morning. You can also grab the links of the stories we talk about in the show notes where you subscribe to the podcast. Also, if you enjoy Weekly Tech, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you leave us a review and email me a screenshot with your address, we'll make sure to send you a limited edition Weekly Tech coffee mug as a thank you. This offer is limited to the first 50 reviewers, so make sure to leave us a review and send us that screenshot at weeklytech at erlc.com. This week for the lead story, we talk about parenting and technology in the middle of the pandemic. I don't know about you, but I really love Sunday mornings, but there's one thing that I dread about them each week. I dread this notification on my iPhone showing me with great detail how I've spent most of my time that week on some type of a screen. From reading to entertainment and social media and productivity, This screen time activity report on my phone displays the reality of my online activity this past week, even if I don't want to acknowledge it. That methodic revelation often comes as a disappointing and sometimes a discouraging reminder of the toils of this season of remote work, online schooling, and social distancing. But as much as we disdain a lot of our extra screen time in this season, this extra screen time is not just happening to us as adults, it's also happening to our children. This is the first generation that's going to be growing up in the smartphone era, which means they're always connected and tied to some type of device or screen or social media outlet. And honestly, it'll be decades before we really understand the full implications of these technologies on our children. And I don't know about you, but I don't really think many families have figured all of this out, especially in the middle of a pandemic. With remote schooling and entertainment and even remote work for us as adults, often we default to giving our children screens or putting them in front of televisions just to be able to have a reprieve to be able to answer some emails or get some work done. But there's two things that I want to encourage parents in the middle of this season is one, this is just a season. We will get through this pandemic season. And the reality is, is that each of us are going to fail. We're not going to have it all together and that's okay. Our role as parents is to shepherd and disciple our children, even in this digital first world, and not to be a perfect parent or act like we have it all figured out. The reality of technology and parenting and screen time in the middle of a pandemic really came to a head for me this last week when I took my four-year-old son to his well check and was reminded of how this pandemic is really affecting our children, especially in relation to technology. 
I was given this little paper with some developmental goals and tips and recommendations for parents. And it reminded me of the amount of screen time that was appropriate for my four-year-old. And when I received this report, let's just say I wasn't a shining example of a parent in this regard, and I bet that most of us are in pretty similar situations. Studies confirm what we already instinctively know. Too much screen time can be detrimental to brain development, social skills, and creative thinking. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that children ages 2 to 5 should watch no more than one hour of high-quality children's programming per day. And older children have various recommendations on limits and certain type of content restrictions. A recent survey before the pandemic by Common Sense Media said that the average child consumes four to seven hours of entertainment media per day. And in this season, just online schooling or allowing mom and dad to have a few different breaks throughout the day can easily blow past these professional recommendations. And that's not even including time and entertainment. But there is good news in the midst of this season. This is only a temporary season. We will fail as parents, but there's abundant grace for us in Christ Jesus. As Lamentations 3 says, there are new mercies for us every single morning, and our failures of the day before do not define us or even dictate the day ahead of us. Reality is is that most of us are going to get sucked into some type of addictive pattern to screen from time to time as we often, in moments of weakness, pacify our children with technology or use technology to even avoid hard conversations. But God's mercy is abundant and he will sustain us as we go through this season full of ups and downs and seek to use these technologies wisely in our homes and with our children. And I think for a lot of parents, some of the first things that we need to acknowledge is that we will fail. We need to lean upon God's mercy and implement little changes throughout our day into our technology habits, that these little changes will often yield bigger results in the long run. So I encourage you to start small. If you're concerned about technology and screen time habits in your family, just start with some really small kind of next steps. First, maybe have a meal without any screens. I know that might sound ludicrous to some people because you think, oh, we do this all the time, but Maybe that's a good next step for you to have one meal throughout the week where you don't have any screens and you can have some healthy conversation. It might be a little bit crazy, but you'll get through it. Maybe it's taking a long walk with your family and it's not tracked or measured and maybe it's not even put on Instagram for everyone to see. One of the things that I'm really looking forward to this fall is what my wife created is a family fall bucket list, which is just some active things that we can do as a family to get outside of our normal habits and rhythms. Some examples of the things on our list are even taking a fall drive with hot chocolates and having no screens. Maybe it's baking cookies and sharing them with neighbors and engaging in conversation, even if we're socially distanced. Having a bonfire in our backyard or hand-making Halloween cards for our family and friends. Or even creating what she's calling a thankful tree, which is just to be reminded of the good gifts of God in this season. These little tiny steps that you can change and implement into your family can revolutionize your habits that you formed with technology and screens in your home. A friend at the beginning of the pandemic said that this was really going to be a year to remember, and not just because of the pandemic, but often because of these sweet memories that we can make with our children that hopefully will last a lifetime. Even amidst job loss and online schooling, remote work, and health issues, we can have these sweet moments of extra time with our children that will hopefully remember long after this virus is gone. While it's easy to use technology as a crutch or a pacifier in this season, our children need us to be engaged in discipling them and helping them to form healthy habits concerning technology that hopefully will outlast us as parents and guardians. 
So even in the midst of the chaos of this year, we can be reminded that God's mercies are new every single morning and know that God is even more present than that watchful eye of our smartphone or that dreaded screen time activity report. If you want to read more about screen time and technology and parenting, I encourage you to check out the recent article that I wrote for ERLC.com, as well as some other additional resources that we'll make sure to drop in the show notes, including a recent interview that I did with Trillia Newbill a couple months ago about parenting and the pandemic in relation to technology. We'll drop all of those into the show notes or into the email briefing that you can subscribe to at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. And also, let me know what you think about screen time and parenting. You can shoot us an email at weeklytech at erlc.com with any questions or concerns, as well as a screenshot of that review so you can make sure to get one of the Weekly Tech coffee mugs. Next up is the rundown, where we focus on four different technology stories that you should be aware of as you prepare for the week ahead. First up is a story from TechCrunch about a new feature coming to Twitter soon called Birdwatch. In order to combat misinformation in the final month before the election, Twitter has added a new feature that will allow users to flag tweets for moderation and add notes with greater detail behind the post. This new addition is called Birdwatch, and it gives users the ability to vote on whether a tweet has false or misleading information, as well as adding these annotations and extra notes that may be public or private. Honestly, there's still a lot of uncertainty around this new feature, and Twitter has been relatively quiet so far. It's currently unclear whether every single user will be able to participate in this type of content moderation or if it only be available to some. From what users have been able to gather so far, it appears that Birdwatch will be crowdsourced moderation very similar to how Wikipedia is publicly available and able to be edited by the public, meaning that regulation and practices will be dependent on Twitter's community at large. A lot of the current information about this new feature is just some preliminary observations, but a company representative said that more details will be coming soon. In the meantime, Twitter users should be mindful of these developments and continue to be aware of the ease at which false and misleading information can be shared. Regardless of where one stands on the issues about how these tech giants should moderate content on their platforms, users should be deliberate about the things that we share online. As followers of Christ, our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus, and that should be reflected in how we use a lot of these social media tools each day. Next up is a story from Vox about how Americans are one step closer to a national contact tracing app for COVID-19. Catalyzed by a tool developed by Apple and Google, the United States has progressed towards a nationwide COVID-19 contact tracing app. This national server created by the tech giants will pave a road towards coordination among states, which up to this point has mainly produced programs that have yet to provide a useful tracing information across state lines. The software produced by Apple and Google is an exposure notification tool that's available both on the iPhone and Android platforms. This optional program uses Bluetooth to upload keys to a server and alert smartphone users if they come into proximity with someone who has tested positive for the virus. The Association of Public Health Laboratories recently launched a new tool that's currently being used across eight states that is built upon this Apple-Google national server. Outside of this recent tool, New York, Pennsylvania, and Delaware, and New Jersey have also teamed up to roll out their own regional contact tracing apps. These recent developments indicate that the barrier to tracing across state borders is progressively being overcome thanks to these national servers like the one being produced by Apple and Google. This technology is helpful in determining the source of local outbreaks and also finding hotspots in order to keep the virus as contained as possible. 
We should be encouraged that developers are continuing in their progress to produce technologies that can help limit the spread of COVID-19. While it's often easy to be skeptical and pessimistic about the trajectory of these digital innovations, the production of tools like these can be helpful reminders that these technologies can be leveraged for good as long as we're mindful of the potential downfalls and dangers that lie behind them. Next up is a story from the New York Times about how Facebook widens the ban on political ads as alarm rises over the upcoming election. For weeks now, various social media companies, including Facebook and its CEO Mark Zuckerberg, have been coming under fire about how to prevent their sites from being used in the manipulation or the spread of false information online. On Wednesday, Facebook said that it would take more preventive measures to keep political candidates from using the platform to manipulate the election's outcome and its aftermath. This is especially significant because Facebook has resisted calls to remove certain ads on their platform for many months. Last month, Facebook said that it would plan to ban new political ads the week before the election and also would act swiftly against any type of post that tried to dissuade people from voting. The company now plans to prohibit all political and issue-based advertising after the elections close on November 3rd for an undetermined length of time. This is because there's a lot of speculation about what might happen if we don't receive election results immediately and how social media might fuel outrage or misinformation online. Notifications will also be sent out to remind users that no winner has been decided until a victor has been declared by the national news outlets. There's considerable debate about how successful these measures will actually be, but it seems wise for Facebook to be planning for the possibility of such an unstable election. Christians should be vigilant when engaging content on Facebook or any other platform so that we're not drawn into the lies and the misinformation that may be spreading online. Believers should also be careful to engage on social media in such a way that doesn't add to this unrest as we wait for these election results. Staying on the topic of Facebook, the last story today from The Verge talks about how Facebook recently banned QAnon and labeled it as a militarized social movement. In its most drastic moderation measure to date, Facebook has also decided to ban profiles, groups, and posts promoting the QAnon conspiracy theory that we've talked about here on Weekly Tech. This move, which will be carried out by each of the social media company's platforms, applies to every such page regardless of whether or not the page is directly promoting violence. QAnon is a far-right conspiracy theory that proclaims a belief in a deep state that is made up of pedophiles bent on bringing down the president under malicious tactics. Supporters have been frequently sharing false information and have often promoted violent actions online. Though less extreme and dangerous than a hate group or a terrorist organization, Facebook's classification of QAnon as a militarized social movement means that it disqualifies all of its content from appearing on the platform according to the platform's terms of service. This move is important in setting precedent for online content moderation in these big technology companies. How this action is received by lawmakers and the public could have implications on regulative policy in this sector. As our country continues to be more and more politically polarized, we should not be surprised to see radical groups on both sides empowered to further their agendas through the use of social media. The extreme rhetoric of a lot of these movements on internet platforms has forced providers like Facebook to make difficult decisions about how they're going to moderate content online. Whether or not you agree with these content moderation policies, Christians should be the first to stand up for truth in exposing any types of lies that are spreading online, as well as standing up to these ideologies that are often depriving our fellow image bearers of their inherent worth and dignity. 
As we're just a few weeks away from this contentious presidential election, we should be aware of the ways that these online conspiracy theories are spreading online and be diligent as ever to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and truth above all. From all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. And as a quick reminder, if you send us a screenshot of your review and email that to weeklytech at erlc.com along with your address, we'll send you a limited edition Weekly Tech coffee mug as a thank you. You can also check out the show notes for all of the stories we talk about here on Weekly Tech in your podcast app. You can also get them directly in your inbox each week as part of the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can subscribe to at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Thanks, and I hope you have a great week.